0: Well, if you would this evening, I'd like for you to go to Psalm tonight, the Psalms 146, Psalm 146. And I want to be uh, tonight looking at this particular Psalm, and I want us to uh, consider the subject tonight, the eternal praise of the soul, the eternal praise of the soul. If you would, look with me at Psalm 146. This is a brief psalm, just 10 verses. And uh, as we open our time here in the Word, let's read through this psalm. Beginning in verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. Psalms 146 to 150 make up what are also known as the Hallelujah Psalms. Each of these Psalms, Psalms 146 to Psalm 150, to the ending, or rather the 150, which is the ending of the Psalms, are centered on the praising of the Lord specifically the praising of the Lord Jehovah. Notice the opening verse of this psalm says, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. David is believed to be the author of this, although this is a bit unusual because many of the psalms that David is the author of, usually there is a heading there that says a psalm of David. Uh, But the words that are spoken here by the psalmist, Uh, if it is in fact David, which I do believe it's David, gives the foundation of our eternal confidence, an eternal confidence that we have in God, and also that our confidence is in God, and we are not to put our trust in man. Now, that thought alone, that we can trust eternally God And that we do not have to put our trust in man, nor should we put our trust in man, leads us to what can only be described as eternal praise. It is the eternal praise of the redeemed soul that can truly say and understand what it means to praise the Lord. What it means to declare hallelujah. Hallelujah is a phrase or an expression that is, it is interchangeable with the expression of praise the Lord or praise ye the Lord. There are three main elements that are seen in this psalm. We see faith, we see hope, we see thanksgiving, but what I want us to see tonight is we see a psalm of eternal praise. Uh, this is not, does not originate with me. This has certainly been a concern that many people and uh, many of those who have watched over the years, and we've watched uh, the, the, the decay and the degrading of the things of God, um, sadly, in our country. We've watched it happen. But the phrase and the expressions, praise the Lord and hallelujah, in many cases have become almost meaningless religious cliches or bywords. Uh, You will even hear sometimes people who have no real knowledge of God actually say, well, hallelujah, or we'll hear them say, praise the Lord. But really that praise and that hallelujah is only reserved for the individual who knows who God is. Now, sadly, uh, we can seemingly innocently say praise ye the lord or praise the lord and hallelujah but in a sense we can take it in vain Uh, we often think about the ten commandments and we think about not taking the lord's name in vain and we we immediately only think about using god's name as a swear word but do you know that even if we start to use words acknowledging god and we're not really thinking and considering what does it mean to actually praise the Lord. What does it mean to actually declare about who God is? Hallelujah. Uh, we can take it in vain. We can take the name of the Lord and say it with our lips, but not mean it with our heart. Uh, praising the Lord is not always verbal. We can praise the Lord by not even speaking. It can be the the attitude of the heart. Uh, There are times when we do not know what to even say to God. There are times we don't even know uh, what what can I render to God for all of the benefits that He has given upon me. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, These are expressions of who God really is. You'll notice that the psalmist begins by saying, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, It is different to praise the Lord with your soul than praising the Lord with your lips. It is possible to praise God and only be giving God, may I say, lip service. This should not be a flippant or a common expression. In other words, praising the Lord should not just be something that's so common that it becomes commonplace. It becomes something that just rolls off of our tongue without ever really thinking about what does it mean to praise the Lord. Now you do know, and I think hopefully you do know this, that uh, even many in uh, David's day and many of the Jews then uh, were so in awe of the name of God that they would not even say the name Jehovah, nor would they write the name Jehovah. There was such a fear and such a reverence of the name of God that it was not taken lightly. Now we need to understand that when we're talking about that particular aspect of this, that we are commanded to praise. True praise, although it is not lip service, it is eternal praise. It's praise that comes from the heart. Now, there are some examples in Scripture that we do see. We understand that when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, he makes mention in Matthew 15, you don't have to turn there, but he says in Matthew 15, verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, now this is important, the commandments of men. Here, God required of them that there was more than just drawing near to God with our lips. There is more of God requires than just simply, again, pardon the expression, giving God lip service. In other words, it can be said of us that what our lips speak should be the true feelings of our heart. We should not just flippantly say praise the Lord if our heart does not really feel that praise of the Lord is worthy. We shouldn't speak if it's just simply lip service. We shouldn't speak if it's just something we're saying so that others might be impressed with our praise of God. It's one of the things, again, that burdens my heart deeply, is even the way we praise the Lord and praise God is being done in such an irreverent manner. We simply think that God is impressed with any sort of praise as long as we're praising Him, but thousands upon thousands of people every Lord's day gather together and praise God with nothing more than lip service. Again, praise of the Lord is eternal praise, and we'll get to why we can see that from this particular psalm. Notice in verse 2 what the psalmist says, While I live, or in other words, as long as I have breath, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Our soul should praise the Lord above all else and certainly above all others. Now look, we all have reason to praise the Lord. If you are in Christ tonight, you have something to praise God for. And yet, we say in what the psalmist says here, is that as long as I live, I will praise the Lord. You realize it's God that gives us life. It's God who not only created our life, it's God who sustains our life. But I have a greater reason to praise the Lord. My greater reason to praise the Lord tonight is not because of the life I have now, but the life I have eternally. The life that I have in Jesus Christ is the reason why I praise the Lord. I'm grateful And I hope you're grateful for what God gives you, what God has provided for you, what God does for you each and every day. But do you know our greatest praise of God is eternal praise? It's spiritual praise. It's what God has done for us spiritually is what the psalmist David has in mind here. Not so much about what this life is, but what we are in God. Think about this tonight. It is not by your will that you've been born again, but it's by the will of God in Christ Jesus that you have been born again. That's a reason to praise God. The whole idea of God choosing us is a reason for us to praise God and to praise Him with eternal praise. One day, we will wake up in glory. We'll wake up in the presence of God and we will then, and I believe only truly then, praise God the way we should. Because we'll praise Him as He is worthy and deserving of our praise. We're told that we will awake with His likeness. David says, I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. I want you to see this. How long will we have a being? How long will we live? We will live eternally. Our praise is not just the praise in this life, but it's the eternal praise of God that we will forever be praising God. When we praise the Lord now, we're praising a God who lives forever. We praise the God who we will be forever praising There will never be a day in glory where you will not be praising the Lord and you will not be worshiping God. There will be no such thing as lip service worship. There will be no such thing as emotionally driven worship that's not even thinking about the reverence that God is due. It will be pure. It will be holy. It will be righteous because it will be worshiped without sin. And yet... What seems to be, and maybe it seems unrelated, but I do not think that it is, the psalmist then makes an interesting turn here. He says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. No matter how high. No matter how authoritative someone is in this world, no matter how much of an expert they are, no matter how religious they are, David says, in man, there is no help. What did David mean? There is no help in man. How much help is there in man? None. Is there a little help? That's not what he says. He says, there is no help in man. There's no help, there's no hope, and there certainly is not salvation to be found in man. Now what's interesting here is David as a king is himself discouraging people from putting any trust or any confidence in himself. David never declares, look unto me and be saved. David never declares, look unto me and find all of your help. But he rather says, look unto God. All praise and all honor and all glory is due to He who is our help. He who is our hope. He who is our salvation. We are not to ever, and I, know, I think this is hard for us to really grasp. We are not to put confidence in man no matter how good that man may seem. No confidence. No confidence in man. And David says, do not put your trust in men. There is no good in this flesh. Every circumstance continues to prove that for a man to put spiritual confidence in another man is like a beggar who's begging for food putting his confidence in another beggar it's like a blind man putting his faith and his hope in a blind man philippians 3 3 paul says put no confidence in the flesh no confidence in the flesh put not your trust in man Folks, I believe that when we trust in man, and David specifically says trust in princes, that we are robbing God of His glory when we trust in man, especially spiritually. To put our confidence in a man, to put our spiritual hope in a man is to rob God of the glory that is due to Him. David says do not put the trust in Don't put them in the Son of Man. This is not a reference here to Christ. This is a reference to humanity. I know every time we see the Son of Man, we almost immediately assume that that's Christ. That's not Christ there. That's humanity. He says, do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in humanity. There is no help. Even David himself said, I should not be a source of your confidence. I believe that trust in man does three things. First of all, it dishonors God. When we trust in man spiritually, we certainly dishonor God. Trust in man, secondly, it degrades us. And thirdly, trust in man will disappoint you in every case. How many times in your own life have you found your trust in in man only ended up disappointing you? How many examples of life where you said, I can fully trust in that person and only to find out it was disappointing? You may have never heard of this man. I do not know a lot about him, but his quote is dead on right. He said to trust man is to lean not on a pillar, but on a little heap of dust. Who should trust that? He said, to put your confidence in man is to not lean on a pillar that will hold you, but rather it's like leaning on a heap of dust that should not be your source of trust. That's what David is saying in verse 3. Man should not be our source of trust. Now in verse 4, David starts to give specific reasons. Now remember how he started. Eternal praise. And then he brings it down to humanity, and he says, now here's the reasons why you shouldn't trust man. Look at verse number four. He says, his breath with regard to man goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. So let's ask ourselves the question here, why do we not put our trust and confidence in man? And David gives us several reasons why. First of all, he makes mention of his breath. Now, this is a reference to the breath of man. And it has to be stated here that the breath and every breath that we take is dependent upon God. We only breathe as God allows us to breathe. And David is giving us an illustration here about breath. And he says, breath, the human breath goes forth. And then notice he says it he returneth to his earth. He's talking about when man dies. So here's what's happening, his breath goes forth and then he dies. Man is so frail and so incapable of even allowing himself to continue breathing. No matter how much he knows, no matter how authoritative he is, no matter how high up he is, when he stops breathing, he dies. He's dependent upon God. Man has no control over that. Man is going to die. Man is frail. He returns to the earth. He was formed from the dust of the earth, and what happens to man? He returns. Now folks, what can a person who is that frail really do for you or do for me? See, we have a lot of Christian cliches. We say, oh, I don't trust in man. I don't have any confidence in my flesh. I don't have... But do we really not have any confidence in the flesh? Do we really not trust man? Or is it just something we say? Very similar to do we just simply say praise the Lord, but we don't really mean it from a heart that really believes and feels that way. David does talk about in that day, notice what happens. In that very day, his day of death, his thoughts perish. All of his thoughts, all of his plans, all of his devices, all of his schemes, all of his programs, all of his expectations, guess what? They die with him. He withers like the grass. He wilts like the flower. Nothing he thought remains. But what does the Bible say about the Word of God? The Word of God abideth forever. Isaiah 55.8, do we believe that? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You see, God is... His way. God is his thoughts. Man is not to be trusted in. David continues to unpack this for us. There's no help. There's no salvation. There's nothing that can be found in that man. But then notice verse 5 is really the secret. David says, Happy is he that hath. The God of Jacob. Happy is the man that hath the God of Jacob for his help and for his hope. Who is this God of Jacob? Well, biblically speaking, the God of Jacob is God's covenant name in Christ. So when we think about what this happiness is, notice he says, he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is is in the Lord his God. What do we have in the God of Jacob? We have the covenant mercies of God. We have the God who has revealed himself. We have the God who is Jehovah God. And David says that's where our help and our hope really come from. It comes from the God of Jacob. Truly, what is happiness in this world? The happy man is the man who has learned to trust the invisible God. The happy man is the man who's learned to trust the invisible God. Now notice what I said, learned. We learn to trust God. We learn to trust God and not put our trust in man. It is not natural for us not to trust man. It's not natural for us not to trust God. We learn to trust. And he said, happy is that man. Happiness here is not necessarily the way we think of happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy is to possess and know you are in possession of the great benefits of God. Think about that for a moment. We know that God is a God of promises. He's a God of covenant mercies. His mercies, God's mercies are sure. We're reminded in passages like Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 that we are sure of the covenant mercies of God because the Bible says He has chosen us. He predestinated us to be like Christ. That's where our happiness arises. David said it's happy is the man who has God, the God of Jacob. But notice he also says, for His help. Folks, what is there in Christ? What kind of help is there in Christ? There is salvation in Him. There is hope in Him. He is the author and the giver of hope. He is our help. He is our security. Christ is referred to as our Emmanuel, God manifested in the flesh. There is hope in Christ. We are saved with an everlasting salvation. It's not a temporal salvation. We're not just being delivered from this present evil world now. We are blessed with the benefit of an eternal salvation which is worthy of our eternal praise. There is help and there is hope. David goes on and magnifies God's creation. He says, Which made, that's Creator, heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Do you realize that there has never been a failed promise of God? Do you know that there will never be a failed promise? God will never fail. How many promises have you made to people that you didn't keep? How many promises have people made to you that were broken? Think about how easy promises are broken in our society. Now we all hear about the good old days when all you needed was a handshake. But do you realize there's been broken promises in every generation? People often say, no, you used to be, you didn't have to sign anything. A man's word was, a man's word was gold. That doesn't mean that there weren't promises being broken. Man's been a sinner. Promises are broken. You put your trust in a man that one day you trust him and the next day you don't. God has never failed in his promises. Now David uses the word truth here because he does not lie, of course, but also God is truth In the doctrine, He's true in what the Bible declares. He is Jehovah God. He is all-powerful God. He is a just God and a Savior, Isaiah 45, 20-25 tells us. He is our help, a very present help in a time of trouble. One of my favorite Psalms, it's hard to, it's like choosing a favorite Bible verse, but I love Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 7, the psalmist says this, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. In verse 6, he says, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Keep going backwards here. Verse 5, I wait that word wait there means to hope with eager anticipation for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. And what makes this psalm so interesting, among many other things, is this psalmist is crying out of the depths. The first part of Psalm 130 verse 1 says, Out of the depths I cried unto thee. Notice the psalmist doesn't say, I cried unto man. I cried unto thee, O Lord. That's Jehovah, all powerful, the present help and my hope. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? If God was to hold us fully accountable for those iniquities, who would be able to stand? The answer to that is not a one of us. But, he says, there is forgiveness with thee. And I think we miss this, that thou mayest be feared. Folks, I have to ask the question, where, has the fear of God gone? Where has the fear of an almighty Creator God gone? Every time you see a psalm, you see them writing from a perspective of a God who is worthy to be feared. A God who is worthy to be praised. And yet, we see... That it is in this God that we are to fear, this God we are to praise, is where we find not only our happiness, but where we find our help and our help. Folks, too many Christians are running to, they are running to man to find their help. They're trying and trying and trying and they're coming up dry every time. They're trying to go to another person for help. They're trying to find their hope in a person. Spouses are trying to find their help and their hope in their husband and in their wife. And the hope and the help is not in them. It is in God. We're told to put no confidence in the flesh. Put no trust in man. It is God who keeps truth forever. Some of you may be familiar with the commentator uh, Lang, and he says this How often do we trust when we should be afraid and become afraid when we should trust? How many times are you feeling secure and safe because you're trusting in a man when really you should be fearful? Is your trust really in God alone. Or are you trusting in something that man can do? See, remember the Psalm 146 starts off by a praise of God, praising God with eternal praise. There should not be trust in man. Verse 6, he made heaven, he made earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth the truth forever. We cannot trust man, but we can Wisely trust our God. He who made the heavens, He who created the earth, He who made the sea. Folks, no matter what our circumstances are in this life, we can say our God is present and He will keep His truth forever. He is always true to His promises, He is always true to His covenant. He is always true to his word. He's always true to his son. I am the Lord. I change not, he says. We learned this past Sunday in Romans 11, his gifts and his calling are without repentance. He will not remove from you that which he has called you to. Verse 7, David gives us another reason why we can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord because he executes judgment for the oppressed. He is a just judge. What a joy it is to give and to commit all of our care, all of our defense, and all of our future to God. And to simply say, God is my hope. God is my joy. God is my strength. But David also speaks of the tenderness here. He says, not only does he execute judgment, but he gives food to the hungry. Now, no doubt we all thank God for the food that he puts on our table. We're thankful that he puts meals on our table and we're provided for. But do you realize that God also gives us spiritual food? He gives to us what we need. But then David also says, not only does he give food, but he also looses or looseth the prisoners. He sets prisoners free. If the Son shall make you free, then what? You are free indeed. What are we free from? As His children, we are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. And someday, folks, and this is why it's the eternal praise, and I don't think we fully understand this concept because we're in these sinful bodies, to actually be free from the presence of sin eternally. See, the problem is, I'm not sure that we hate sin the same way that God hates it i think we have a strong dislike for it but i'm not sure we hate sin the way god hates it do you know what our greatest prayer request should be and i know we have a lot of needs we have a lot of concerns but maybe we ought to pray god give me a hatred for sin the way that you hate sin have you ever just stopped and asked god and say god keep me from sinning all right so wasn't that our responsibility It's in the power of God. We we give God a list of all the things that we need temporally. But have you ever prayed to God just spiritually? Said, God, deliver me from this sin. Deliver me from just my strong dislike of sin. Help me to view sin the way that you view sin. You see, we don't fully know what it is to be free from sin until we actually are free from sin. You'll notice that in verse 8, again, the blessings continue. The Lord, how many times does it say the Lord does this? The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises them up that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. What beauty is in that? The Lord preserves the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Notice in these verses, five times the name Jehovah is repeated in verses seven through nine. He loses the prisoners. He opens the eyes. To open the eyes of the blind is not just opening the eyes in order to repent and believe, but he's opening the eyes to see his glory to acknowledge who He is. But He also raises them up that are bowed down or bowed down in distress, despair, sickness, and old age. I love what Matthew Henry said on this verse. He says, It ought not to pass without remark that the name Jehovah is repeated here five times in five lines to intimate that it is an almighty power that of Jehovah that is engaged and exerted for the relief of the oppressed and that is, it is as much to the glory of God to help them that are in misery as to ride on the heavens by his name Jehovah. It is just as much glory to God to help as it is for God to ride on the heavens. And I love this, he loveth the righteous. Now all of us know that none of us are righteous and of ourselves. But if we're in Christ, we have been clothed in the righteousness of the Redeemer. We all know today that none of us deserves to be the object of God's love. But folks, we ought to feel, if we're in God and in Christ, we ought to feel God's love. We ought to be able to feel that. We ought to know that God is love. He loves the righteous. Why should we return love to God? Because He made us righteous. We're made like Him. We do love Him. Remember, it's not that you loved Him first, but that He loved you. And imagine... That as we love him and he loves us, our purposes are to be in agreement with his purposes. Folks, he goes on and he said he preserves the strangers. The strangers are those people that do not belong in this world. You realize the Bible does say we are just strangers and pilgrims. This was never intended to be where your hope was to be placed. We are just passing through. We are on a journey. We're on a journey to go to the Father. Folks, if we have been enabled by the grace of God to see the favor of God and His mercies and His grace towards us, we find great joy and comfort in that. We find great joy. And we can find happiness and joy even in the midst of our deepest trials because we know that God is our hope. We realize the Bible says these things. We we know the verses. We know Romans 8 that says all things work together for good for those who love Him. Until something goes wrong. Or we perceive something to go wrong. What does he say about the way of the wicked? On the flip side, he says the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. He completely turns it upside down, but he relieves the fatherless. He relieves the widow. But then verse 10, he says, the Lord shall reign forever. Here's what happens. You trust in a man and he dies. It's happened for generations. It's happened for centuries. You trust in a man, put your confidence in the flesh, put your confidence in a man and he will die. Folks, I have seen this and I don't mean to be cute about this because I am I am as serious as I can be. I have watched churches over and over and over and over again put all of their confidence and all in their trust in their pastors and their elders. I've watched it happen. Do not put trust and confidence even in our pastors, even in our elders. We can follow them as they follow Christ. But don't trust them as their source of eternal confidence. Why? Because we are all frail. Trust in men and we die. Trust in Jehovah and you live. David says Jehovah shall reign forever. This God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and to all generations. Praise ye the Lord. This last verse really gives us a natural outline for this eternal praise. First of all, the Lord shall reign forever. Even thy God, O Zion, shows us a cause for eternal praise. Why should we praise God eternally? Because he's going to reign forever. Kingdoms raise, kingdoms fall. The Lord God will reign forever. Secondly, we see that it's unto all generations. That's with reference to a covenant. It's a covenant of eternal praise. He is not going to go back on the covenants that He has made. But then we see, praise ye the Lord, right where we started. The Hallelujah Psalm starts the same way, or ends the same way it started. Praise ye the Lord. It's bookended by hallelujahs. That is a call to eternal praise. This ought to be a delight to us tonight, folks. This ought to be comforting words to you who are in God. You tonight should be comforted and you should feel relief that there is hope and there is help in God. And the reality is that God... And His praise is eternal praise. Spurgeon said about this praise of God, he said the sovereignty of God should be the delight of His people. God anywhere is blessed, but God on His throne should make His people shout their hallelujahs with all their heart. Yet, there will be many who receive the benefits of God, who receive His blessings, who do not return to ever give God glory for what He's done. Does this remind you of a story we see in the New Testament? Let's look at this very quickly. I know our time is is out, but look at Luke 17 quickly. Luke 17. I want to remind you of this story how only one of ten people who received the same glorious relief, only one, returns to glorify God and to give thanks. Luke 17, verse 11, It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met, with, met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice they're saying the right things. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went... They were cleansed. And I've got this underlined. You may not believe in underlining your Bible, that's fine. But I've got this underlined. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face. Folks, that is the true posture of worship. He fell down on his face and he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. What was he saying? He was glorifying God by giving praise to the Lord that was not just lip service. This was a man who was truly grateful and truly thankful that he had been healed. One out of ten returned. And this is not by coincidence. When he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, he fell down his face at his feet, giving him thanks. This little last phrase is there for a reason. And he was a Samaritan. The one who came back was one who was not the likely object. The Jews didn't return to give him thanks, but this one Samaritan did. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Folks, there are so few. And again, I hope you understand tonight, this is not directed at you. This is directed at society as a whole and maybe the Christian in some some shape and form. But so many people, so few, actually return to praise God with eternal praise. This one returned. Jesus knew where the nine were. They got what they wanted and they didn't return. Where are the nine, he says? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. He said there's only this one foreigner who gave, gave me glory and thanks. Folks, so many people have received the benefits of God, but they don't glorify God truly. They simply just give God lip service God's love is the very ground of our life it's the reason for our eternal praise again as that one commentator mentioned it it, this so stuck to me how often again that question how often do we trust when we should be afraid and we become fearful when we should trust God are we truly trusting God only or is some of our trust in man also God is the only one who has the power to heal. He's the only source of our hope. He's the only source of our help. But I think this is so needed of what God is. God is also willing to help. You see, we have a God. He's unchangeably the same. But folks, if you're trusting in man, if you're trusting in man instead of God, you are always you are always going to be on edge. You are always going to be discouraged because man is gonna fail you. God never changes. Folks, it's important that our young people, our kids, they need to understand that from a very young age. This would be something you deal with your children at home. Our trust is not in people. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in Him. What's our greatest help and our greatest hope? It's God's faithfulness. Folks, the reason I'm hopeful tonight and the reason I can be thankful is because of God's faithfulness. He is the eternal praise of our soul. I hope you can say that tonight, that He is your trust and that you are not trusting in man nor putting any confidence in the flesh. Well, let's finish our time together tonight, if you would. Let's turn to a very old hymn that reminds us of these great truths, these great promises. Hymn number 26, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Hymn number 26. Let's stand together.